Well, welcome to another episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. In this episode, we are joined by Brad Frost to talk with us about CSS and how to build out CSS in large applications. Brad, do you want to give us a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Brad Frost. I'm a web designer based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I do a lot of... Uh, what I call like front of the front end uh, web development, as well as a lot of consulting and speaking and workshops and stuff like that. Spend a lot of time on uh, design systems and created something called uh, Atomic Design. As far as happy hour drinks, I'm very much a beer person, hard alcohol and sort of cocktails and stuff. And like the occasional gin and tonic, maybe, I guess, or, or margarita, or sort of locale specific. Uh, I, I feel like my, my beverage changes like on, on geography. But if I'm at home, I'm drinking beer. Uh, and when I'm out, I'm usually drinking beer. And right now I'm drinking a beer called Squish by a Pittsburgh-based uh, brewery called Cinderlands, which is right up the road from me. So uh, that's my, my way of getting out and about in my, in my home city. Well, wow. It's not... I was going to say it's nice that they still are open too, because I have a local brewery that's right beside me as well. And I'm like really happy that it is open and can still buy beer there. So I'm, and it's really good. So it's, it's a win-win. Yeah. I actually, I, I literally have a, a brewery in my backyard. Um, and, and so it, it wafts over as they're sort of brewing the Whoa. beer and stuff. But, uh, I, don't don't tell them, but I, I don't prefer their beer. <laughs> sort of go elsewhere. They're really lovely neighbors, and I like talking to them. But I, I their beer is a little mm. subpar. But anyways, Brad, that's funny because in my backyard, I literally faces or the brewery as well, and I'll smell the hops and everything. Luckily, I do I do really like their beer, so it works. Ah, out. there we go. All right, well, uh, let's give introduction of today's panelists. Mars, you want to kick it off? Sure. Um, I'm Mars Julian. I'm a front-end software engineer in the Bay Area and all thoughts on my own. I'm Stacey London. I'm a senior front-end engineer at Atlassian and all my thoughts are Mars's. There we go. There we go. Yeah. My name's Augustus Sissoon. I'm a software engineer at Twitch and I just have thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. I don't have too many thoughts. <laughs> You just run this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I just ask questions. You all respond, right? <laughs> Isn't that the, the gig? All right. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we'll all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Atomic. Atomic. So if we say the word atomic at all in this episode, we will all take a drink. And the reason we chose atomic is if you have not read Atomic Design by Brad Frost, I highly recommend it. It is a lot of what we're going to be talking about in this episode, but it paints a really good picture of how to really build out your CSS in, in larger applications. First time I met Brad, I uh, actually was at Netflix. We had him come and help us uh, think through how we were going to scale our CSS or how to build a mobile first. And this is many years ago, which is crazy. It doesn't feel like that long ago, but it was. I highly recommend it. It's a really quick read too, but just very insightful. I'll also say that if if you buy it, it's $10 right now. And actually, since this whole pandemic kicked off, I'm donating 100% of the proceeds to food banks and helping keep people fed during all of this. So so that's been pretty cool. I've It's been like a, a little bit of, we'll say, a resurgence with it. You know, the book isn't exactly uh, hot off the presses, but at the same time, it's uh, it's it's great to see a lot of people saying, yeah, sure, I like helping feed people. So Awesome. It, it's adding atomic help to people. Yeah. Cheers. 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 Hey. All right. To get started, I, I thought a really good way to start this episode was, I, I feel like we've all come at... CSS likely at different points starting our careers. And I'm interested to hear each of your history with CSS and how it's evolved over time. I mean, I think my experience with CSS like has largely followed like the, the way that the industry has been tracking. Um, just because like going from company to company, they also tend to track the, 
the way that the industry is is moving. So obviously it started out as like an intern working with jQuery and terrible inline styles in some places and, you know, CSS style sheets and kind of just like a mess of class names and then moving to like post-processors like SAS and less and um, now more more experimenting with like CSS and JS um, frameworks like CSS modules and, um, you know, reactive styles and, and that kind of thing. Um, so it's sort of just like been like, you know, ebbing and flowing between things that are less CSS and things that are more CSS to, I don't think we've ever really settled on like a middle ground yet, um, at least in my experience, but um, sort of just been tracking that way. Similar sort of experience as well, yeah, from kind of early days of not thinking of CSS as something that could have architecture or patterns to moving towards that kind of thing and like, you know, reading Jonathan Snook's book about um, scalable modular CSS architecture that like changed how I thought about things um, when writing CSS and then uh, starting to think about it even more programmatically with say like less and preprocessors and that's sort of a part of that evolution and then fast forward now I'm like you know in the CSS and JS thing I've been you know working with style components or emotion or some of these libraries that uh, let you write CSS and JavaScript, and so it's it's been quite a journey to see uh, how it's how it's evolved, and then kind of almost seeing it fall back. So like even recently on um, a team I'm on or was on, they are considering ripping out the CSS and JS because it has performance problems, and going back to maybe vanilla CSS or maybe less. You know, so it's kind of like full circle kind of things happening, which is always, which, which if you're in the industry long enough, you, you kind of see everything go in a big circle. <laughs> it always brings me back to like, I love that you said that. Cause like, I remember the back when I first started probably doing some JavaScript, it was like, you were putting like on click handlers in your HTML and it was just like really gross. And, and then I remember being at the presentation when Facebook introduced React and, and showing JSX. And I was like, nope, don't like that. That's really, really <laughs> ugly. And then you start writing React and you're like, ooh, I like this. Like, but it's like, wait, I hated it like when it was in line. So it's really funny how we move around like that. I, I love how you called that out because there yeah, there's like the first React presentation. There's this like pivotal slide where they showed, and this is how we envisioned CSS would work with React. And I I remember a bunch of us, I forgot like on our team, just like closed the <laughs> Close the video right there. We were like, well, this is a terrible idea. Don't <laughs> this will do never that. work. You know, proving me wrong a little. So I guess I'll, I'll go. Uh, I, I feel I learned a lot of my CSS from Ryan when I joined Evernote. I started That's as a good. web developer. <laughs> 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 You're like, uh oh. <laughs> well, well, for context, like my first web development job was at college. I was a student web dev for the College of Engineering and colleges. I would say the tech is probably not as modernized. So there's still a lot of writing manual CSS. And then coming to Evernote, learning about SAS, like my mind was like blown. I was like, oh my God. Like even just like nesting was like, just like blew my mind. (laughs) But yeah, it's crazy to see how like CSS has evolved. Yeah, it really has. So I'm not sure. I won't count my GeoCities experience. Ooh, Um, But that's, that's... I mean, that's as that was sort of straddling the line between like just straight up like font HTML attributes and and like starting like nascent CSS sort of stuff, like largely for like background, the the old tiled background for Dragon Ball Z fan 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 websites. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I I uh, got into CSS. I had a a class at, at my university. Uh, learned a bit of that at that time it was still largely like flash days so like a lot of that stuff was like super expressive and just easy you know you're just like I'm gonna make my interface a bunch of bouncing balls and like I could do that and it's like how does this work in the browser doesn't matter you know it's like it was just like (laughs) a box you know it's like a box that shows up eventually in the browser Um, but yeah my story is a bit like a couple weeks before I graduated a couple alumni came in uh, they, they worked at AOL, which was, you know, at the time was, was, you know, pretty hot job. And a couple of weeks before they came in, they were like, you know, if you're interested in all this web development stuff, 
I'd recommend buying this book, Designing with Web Standards, by Jeffrey Zeldman. I graduated, sat unemployed in my sister's apartment in Pittsburgh, and uh, read that and was like, oh, okay. So, like, everything I just learned as part of my degree is wrong. And then sort of quickly after that, read uh, Eric Meyer's, uh, two Eric Meyer books on CSS. And sort of that began my my path of, of sort of solid standards-based HTML, CSS, separation of concerns, good stuff. Uh, and then sort of like you all, you know, it sounds like the similar trajectory in through the the jQuery days and in through the, you know, preprocessor days and then like, you know, getting into these sort of more modern uh, frameworks and, um, you know, sort of, uh, but but we'll say largely sticking with, and um, I'm sure we'll get into it, but like largely extolling the virtues of native CSS as not some antiquated thing, but as one third of the important technology stack of the front-end web. Um, so sort of really trying to help advocate for continuing from, I think, where I started, which is the standards-based approach to web development and the tools come and go and the things like that. But it's like, you know, how do you actually craft this stuff in a way that, that scales, that's modular, that's portable, that will stand the test of time? Um, and I think that that as time goes on and in a lot of my work, as I sort of duck my head into all of the different organizations of, of similar size and shape of, of the places that you all work and stuff, and to sort of see this sort of graveyard or you just sort of see like the timelines, you see this like sort of things frozen in amber, <laughs> yeah. uh, Jurassic Park style. And it's like, it's really it gives you an interesting perspective on sort of what lasts and what doesn't, what's solid and what, what doesn't, what's flavor of the month and what's actually like, it's like, Oh, okay. That's a pattern we're going to want to hang on to for a while. And, and it's, it's very, very interesting to sort of see how that evolves and the implementation sort of kind of matters, um, but really not too much in the grand scheme of things. So it's like my, my big thing, is about like the what's what's the rendered output and like how how is that going to hold up over time um and i feel like seven seven eight ish years into i don't want to say i've cracked the code but i feel like i've established in a lot of the projects that i've worked on and a lot of places i've gone and we've established like similar things and done some pretty pretty you know we'll say ambitious things and it's like some of these patterns hold up pretty well over time, which which actually makes me makes me happy. <laughs> you know, do you, do you all have that? Like where you're like, yeah, this is this is a trick I've been doing for a while, and like this, it, it I'm doing it for a while, not because I'm like an old, you know, <laughs> old dog and can't learn new tricks. It's like no, this thing freaking works, and um, that's that's a sort of another thing. I'm rambling here, but it's like stable software, predictable patterns, things that you could really hang your hat on. Give me that all day. So Yeah, and it, at that point, it doesn't matter so much about the technology or approach that you're doing. If it is writing vanilla CSS or writing SAS less, it, it's like those types of tooling come and go. But I think that's why I still think things like a, atomic design hold up because it, it doesn't really... Yes, cheers. 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 But yeah, I think really setting those patterns, it, it shouldn't really matter about necessarily what the tools are. When you set a good pattern, it should work on all of that. For me, yeah, it I, I sounds very similar to Brad mentioning Flash. So I'm like, yep, that's definitely where I started. CSS, really, you just like centered the Flash. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Flash uh, object. Yeah. The, the Flash object was there and the, the, that's all that mattered. You're like, boom. And then if um, if you really wanted to be like ambitious, you would sort of have like 
a background image that you carved yep. out in Photoshop that like sort of created like a gradient so that the flash object would like seamlessly blend into the, the it, body background. Except it never worked. I mean, it worked, but you always have that person who had to install. And so it's just a big gray box, yep. like, and they're like installed. But so afterwards, seamless, great. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I started there writing a lot of just vanilla CSS. I remember even at times where we would try and reduce the, this sounds funny to say, but we would try and reduce the size of the actual file that was getting sent to the client. And we weren't using great build tools to do that. We were just actually writing our CSS all in like large lines. Yeah. And like <laughs> it, that would happen. No, um, we did that. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds so bizarre to even say it, but that literally happened. Maybe it was that every class had its own line. It wasn't like all like, one massive line but even then why am i putting all these properties in a single line and then i remember moving to i can't which remember which preprocessor i moved to first i think it was less and then sas and i've jumped around on those and and played around css and javascript but i remember being pretty adverse or just not wanting to do or using a preprocessor i remember being like that seems like a bad idea and my fear was, was just thinking that you didn't really know what the end state was of the CSS. But I think once you really understood how to write less or SAS, you, you could be pretty confident what the end state was. But I do remember first hearing about, it, I'm like, that sounds like a terrible idea. I want to write my, my CSS line by line. You know, I got to see it. But I think it comes back to is the patterns is the key thing though, that tend to just stay they, they they really stay the long term doesn't matter which technology you're using for css I, i'm interested to hear are there layouts that you still find hard to achieve even with flexbox or grid uh yeah <laughs> all of them uh i i i think no i think i i think um here's the big conundrum right now the big conundrum is not necessarily in the how do you implement this in the browser? Because you actually can get that. The biggest problem is the disconnect between how a designer views uh, layout and how it actually plays out in the browser. Um, and what I mean by that is designers put the little like pink lines over top of their designs and you're like, which are next to worthless a lot of times. They like never even line up in the first. <laughs> it's like, why are you doing that at all? I don't know. You're just like, Look, and we have a grid and check. Um, the problem with that, though, is that that isn't at present how things work in the browser, right? And so there's a big sort of educational aspect of this. And actually, for project I'm working right now, we had that very conversation just yesterday um, where it was like, gather around, everyone. Let me show you how layout works on the web uh, at present. And for a lot of designers, it's like, uh, oh, okay. Um, and there's a couple things here. One is this whole, the, the, the little pink lines with the 12 column grid and the gaps in between them and stuff like that. We have CSS grid. That's not what CSS grid is for one. Like, so, so there's like a big disconnect there. It's like, yeah, CSS grid is here. So we get like the little like pink lines in, in, in CSS. No, we don't. Um, not presently there's sub with the introduction of subgrid which is only available right now at present in firefox you have the ability to declare a grid and then sort of snap children and they're importantly they're sub children they're they're sort of like elements so if you just let's take a product a product category page for an e-commerce site right you just have grid of products three across or something like that right what you want to have is you want to have a master grid and then you want to sort of snap the the cards to those grids, right? So if it's like 12 column grid, it's like, okay, you got, you know, three and three and three and the gap in between and makes a nice little thing. Uh, or maybe four across. I don't know. I have my math wrong. Um, so the whole idea there is that you would have to declare that grid a a you know display grid and then sort of add your sort of like grid template columns and stuff like do that there you can't have like a page level higher up i'm just going to like here's the master grid for the whole body and then like i'm going to snap these things in the header to the grid in this way i'm going to snap these cards to to the master grid in this way can't do that 
right now. So it's all these like direct children kind of things, right? And so that's like a big like, oh, and Subgrid solves that. And that's like a really tough stuff to, to solve. And there's a reason why it didn't make it into the original spec and stuff like that. So anyways, that's the problem. The problem isn't like, I can't make the Holy Grail layout or I can't make a three column layout or, or, you know, this thing going from one columns to two to three or whatever. Like you could do that. And what we tend to do is we'll sort of define these patterns um, that that are like, here's a side by side or here's what we'll call like a two up or a three up or a four up. And it basically goes from one to two to three to four. Right. And like or and then you have variants of that, which is a, a one to two to four. And so it's like, OK, that's good for like marketing homepages where you say like have four touts, but you don't want a little orphan right on this on the line, like at, at a certain thing. So we'll have these sort of like general sort of like grid like layout patterns. And then we'll have some overarching sort of page layouts. And generally, like they'll end up being the same shape as those sketch files or Figma files or whatever. But like how they're implemented is just fundamentally different than like how people think about grids. So, so that, that's the big thing. Um, and sure, there's masonry stuff and like actually Rachel Andrews just had a really good post on that this week where she's like starting to like kick the tires about that and, and whatever. And that's one of those like, is that just like a passing fad or is this like a something <laughs> that we want to hang on to like long term and, and, who knows about that? But I'll say, like, the big thing is, like, the just the mental model for how we even think about layout is still radically different between these different disciplines. Well put. I always think of that, too, is that there's always this translation I think about is, like, you have this really beautiful design. You sit down, you build it, and you sit down with the designer. They're like, it's not exactly the way I designed it. And it, it a lot of it comes down to that grid. It is not easy to just translate and i think that's the thing for me that i've always struggled with it i do actually think we've gotten better over the years where the browsers have gotten a lot better i think back to the vertical lines floats all the things that were just so so difficult there's times when i was just like hey it works how does it work i don't know it just works like it, i figured it out it works and you just feel so good about that in that moment but again that like one like you know, even pre pre media queries and stuff, it's like you had the same pattern. This three across. I want to display these things in three columns. God, we've been doing that for literally like decades. <laughs> it's like yeah. float left and float right. Yeah, boom, done. Exactly. <laughs> with the, with some like weird margins and stuff in between there, and then like Ethan came out with a responsive design, and he's like, and here's this mathematical formula for calculating these things so that they're flexible, and it's like. You know, my my margin right is two point one two five percent, and you're just, I'm just like, nah, <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> but yeah, we've we've come a long way between calc. Obviously, see all of CSS Grid, all of Flexbox. Calc is huge. Just like the notion of like gap, like just declaring yep. things in. I'm going to control the spacing in between things, and we actually have a freaking convention for that. That isn't a hack. Is is wonderful. But yeah, like these paradigm shifts and like these these mental models are, you know, so much of my work over the last six seven years has been around design systems and bringing a lot of these different worlds together. And I sort of am like the person typically who who is like the ambassador for front end technology. And it's like, here's it, it is very much an educational thing. I'll, I'll say the the whole like, here's layout patterns and how it works. And then the other giant paradigm thing or thing that just isn't even a thought in designers head is this concept of source order. And whenever you have these sort of static design tools where you just move things around in free space, it's like, on mobile, I'm just going to put it down here. And on desktop, <laughs> I'm going to put it up there. And then, like, the problem is, is that developers are just such, like, schlubs and don't push back on anything. <laughs> they end up, like, doing these, like, massive backflips, like these, like, Cirque du Soleil backflips, like, just these technical solutions to... If you just said, if you move it from here to here, I could do this in two hours. 
but the way you have it is going to take me two weeks to do. It's just, it's incredible. So I, I love seeing that stuff. So it's like layout patterns and source order are like, for me, like the two biggest like disconnects between the worlds of design and, and, and front end development. And uh, I, I personally love playing that, playing that game and, and helping educate people there. I think you touched on something that is so good. Anytime uh, for engineers specifically is just taking the time to to question but also educate because sometimes a designer is just like oh i just thought it was easy versus like let's help someone understand that order and how that happens you can't just throw javascript at everything and just say like oh i'm just going to reorder everything you can but that comes at a large large cost to the end user and so i think a lot of the advice i always say is just having those conversations and helping educate that you don't want to just take what the the design is or the spec and just completely take it and build it it's 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 a conversation that has to happen between design and engineering so i, I think that's really good advice and those conversations don't happen and, and and that's that's so much of my that's the drum that i beat and and basically like talking about front-end developers and i'll say like specifically the front of the front end now that front-end developer is a worthless term and it's like you know you have (laughs) you you need the people that really understand how css works to be an equal in the design process, not coming in after, not sort of treated as just like, here, implement this. It's like what people whose skill set is fundamentally understanding CSS is, is these are the people that understand the medium of the web better than better than any other person in the team. And that's not to sort of say like, ah, like, like let's pat ourselves on the back here. What it is saying is, too often our processes are built around, you know, these designers are going to come up with the solutions and then we're going to pass it off as in the form of requirements and some stupid Zeppelin link to these sort of grunts who are just going to sort of turn it into code. It's like feed them requirements and they spit out code on the other end. And that's just fundamentally like it's disrespectful across the board but it's also it's just wasteful. It causes all sorts of problems. And I'll also say, you know, we're sort of not to not to bring React up into this, but it's like with React, you can conditionally render different things. And I'd say, uh oh, crap. Like that's not like that's not like a it's not specific to React, but this general notion of like, you know, if breakpoint is is mobile then like render in accordion else render tabs and it's like that's maybe not a good thing like the the fact that we can do this from a technical perspective means that like those engineers will actually just go okay well i need to add an if else statement here rather than going hang on this is fundamentally a bad idea and we should actually this is a better way and like here's how we could accomplish this using CSS grid and like let me just like walk you through that right so it's like it's almost a shame that the technology has gotten better to actually create essentially an m dot site <laughs> uh, in the same code base it's like it's like cuz then these people are just sort of crapping out these really brittle and just just it's just not good and and there is something to be said for optimizing you know a layout but there's also something to be said for let's actually like use work with the grain of the web rather than like just sort of hacking around it with like if else statements i I know it came up earlier too Um, i think a few people even mars you had said talking about the ways that you've come along css we mentioned a few things about how we felt about CSS being in JavaScript, but I'm curious, like, what do you all think about CSS now being in your JavaScript? I have lots of thoughts around this only because at work we've been, we have like a web styling working group. So we've been reevaluating, um, we do CSS and JavaScript now and we've been reevaluating the framework that we use for it. I have to say, I really like the ergonomics of it and I like some of the problems that it solves in terms of like, the cascade and like we can now have locally scoped selectors so that we can make sure that we have these like really atomic cheers 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 cheers. this is a terrible keyword (laughs) (laughs) we have these like really small components that we can then like um 
you know, sort of like compose together and build into larger parts of the UI without having to worry about, you know, some of that styling bleeding into, into other places and changing names and the maintainability of that. So I think there, is, there are some positives to CSS and JavaScript, but we really lose out on some of the performance benefits too. I think we're like bending over backwards for the developer ergonomics, but now it feels like we're also bending over backwards in the other direction to like extract CSS from our React with styles. So we maintain CSS and JavaScript, but statically compile it to something else. Um, so it's been really interesting to like research all of the available frameworks out there for like their different performance benefits and developer ergonomics and just sort of, it's, it just kind of boggles my mind how much work has gone into it when we have CSS, <laughs> we have SAS, <laughs> we have less, but as developers, like, I think also we're a little bit stubborn because, you know, writing CSS in our JavaScript has been really nice, but it also presents a lot of problems and people don't, it's almost like these frameworks have for, you know, developers who don't have like the mental, the like mental patterns um, well thought out, they just kind of like are a blanket solution and we no longer have to architect our CSS because it's back in our JavaScript. Um, so it's a really hard thing to convince a front end community to like think about CSS architecturally again when it kind of was the solution to like, you don't have to do that anymore. I don't know, that's not very eloquent, but that's my meaning. <laughs> <point, so. laughs> that is extraordinarily elegant. Let me just tell you that. That was like wonderfully said. Yeah, and, and it was fu it's funny, Mars, because you, you mentioned like, oh, you know, we have this, this thing where we can like have our CSS be right in near our components and blah, blah, blah. But what's funny is you'll find teams that even that are doing CSS and JS, they'll be like, we define our style components in this separate file from... The, the component and then we reference it and import it as like s import star from button.styles and then we have this style and then so you're treating it in in very similar way to the way that you kind of separated your concerns before they're like oh but the ergonomics it's closer to the component I'm like well you're doing it the same way yeah, you could do the same thing with a freaking sas file <laughs> I said, oh, what a dead code elimination. All right, well, I delete the folder. We don't use the carousel anymore. We're going to deprecate that. All right, you delete that folder, and there goes the CSS for your carousel. So, so many of the things, the, the benefits that get bulleted out in the, in the slides that I see, like, how bad is your process? <laughs> how bad is your process where if you're just, like, totally omitting... Again, a third of, of the, the, the front end stack of the web from like if you're if you're removing something. And, and that's not to say that like big, long, like single files where CSS files that you can't find anything and all these sort of gobbledygook selectors is, is, a, is a good experience. But it's like you're talking about partials. You're talking, <laughs> Chucky, I'm going to write my carousel component styles in this file and if the carousel goes away it goes away like there's nothing about java that, that javascript shouldn't even enter that conversation in my in my opinion if you're talking about that as like a benefit i think that's even solved more even on like a build level you could be building a tool that does and it could be written in javascript i don't care it but like it's more on the build level tool is it doesn't need to be at runtime it doesn't need to be this coordination tax is that you could build manline tool that's like build new component A and it builds a CSS file or a SAS or less. Uh, you know, it, it's just automatically creates that alongside the JavaScript file. Like there's, and then you can have a cleanup command that cleans that all up. Like I agree with you is like, okay, that is an argument that it's together and you just throw it away and that's fine. But there are other ways to solve that problem too. So I, I I don't think it's a great argument. I think what you're bringing up is a really important point is the fact that like tooling and linting and like all of that stuff is all has all grown up in the same time frame where it's like if you were to say that same sentence that you just said seven years ago, it'd be like it would be nice to have some like cleanup tools and builds and whatever. And now it's like actually just like trivial. So it's. It, and it's important to recognize that, like, as we, like, sort of zoom out, it's like, yeah, we, we've we come a long way, baby. <laughs> it, with respect to the, the, the tooling and just, like, sort of the guardrails around, like, so many things. Irrespective of the technologies or the specific, like, implementations, it's like, you do have these sort of, like, extra constructs that just didn't exist before. It used to just be, 
yeah, we have our single file for all of our CSS and like we we only append to it. We never dare go back into further up the file because there be dragons, right? And we don't know where that is. It's like th- those days are gone and largely because of a lot of this sort of tolling stuff. So, um so yeah, and and, and that that doesn't that's not CSS specific. That's just like we have better conventions and and constructs and and tools around sort of like shaking out things that are dead or or whatever so that's i think i think that that stuff's really powerful and really fun yeah i think like thinking about the evolution of css and like going even all the way towards css and js i like still don't as like much as i have my gripes around preprocessors and css and js i don't think that i could imagine a world developing without them still um because they do give us like a lot of nice things, especially like practical stuff beyond the developer ergonomics. Like it allows us to, to style our websites more inclusively so we can have like auto vendor prefixing, um, so that we have styles that work across browsers. Or we also have stuff that can do automatic like RTL flipping for, you know, various, um, CSS properties that need it, like text align right versus text align left, depending on, on the locale of your browser and that kind of thing. And I've even seen more, like more and more stuff come out these days around just like, injecting like more accessible styling um into like less and sass and all that kind of stuff um but we we couldn't get with with uh native css uh like just pure css so it's been really interesting to see that it's a weird thing again it's like what i see that a lot is like javascript developers being like again the bulleted list for like here's why css in in js and whenever I read those like bulleted lists or those slides or look at those conference talks or evaluate this stuff, I'm like, these, these simply aren't problems. <laughs> like It's like, there are, there are ways to address it. And it's like, don't get me wrong. It's like, yeah, like nobody is at, no, let me, I'll just be clear. Nobody is advocating creating style.css anymore. And like writing all of your styles there and having no access to variables or no access to like nothing. Nobody is saying that. And and also nobody's really advocating even things like like we should write all of our styles like globally that like sort of cascade in there. It's like there's some like really actually really smart things you could do with a cascade, but it's like a delicate touch. It's like some like really like lightweight like base level stuff or whatever that that trickles down and it's actually really really nice when you have that your handle around it so it's like it's not to say that like these these solutions or these frameworks or, or tools or whatever just the concept of css and js is like was born of anything like wrong but like what what i think frustrates me is that it it seems to ignore a lot of the hard work that that had already sort of come out before to address exactly that just just to use the the crudest example that we talked about earlier is like you have carousel.scss it's like okay there you go you know what i mean like it's what was what was wrong with that exactly and it's it's a carousel so there's something wrong with it but absolutely yeah yeah and that's (laughs) that's a fun one i i brought that up earlier as an example because i was saying that we were (laughs) removing it so it's like that's always my go-to it's like you have your design system and let's say your a b test shows that carousels suck and you shouldn't use them that's a good candidate to remove that component from your from your library eventually right so uh, but yeah, so carousel maybe maybe a bad example, but like the notion yeah, it, the, the notion good. of it's a good. partial is is there, and the notion of sort of scoping components and stuff like that is is also like a I think a big one that gets sort of like extolled around um, a lot. If I may, I think the big thing is for me, hands down, hands down, the biggest argument against. CSS and JS is portability. And I would venture to guess that every single one of us on our call, if we were to add up the different tech stacks at our various companies and organizations, would probably be a couple dozen. We probably, between us, have a couple dozen tech stacks in play. Some of those might be React. 
Some of those might be Angular, some of those might be Django or WordPress or Drupal or whatever. SharePoint, I don't care. <laughs> the whole idea, and this happens, every single client, this week was no exception than the last week. And, I, and I'm not, not making this up. It's these buttons look this way because this was built in Angular. Angular is a JavaScript framework. I, I'm sure you all know that better than I do. Angular should have no bearing on the presentation of, of these button styles, but yet here we are. These things look like this because this was built in this framework. These things look like this because they were built in this framework. There is the problem. Fundamentally, if I want to get the new design language, our new you know 3.0 design language, whatever like the designers are cooking up with the new purple buttons and all of this, and just went through this with like a big airline and stuff. If in order to get those purple buttons into our entire enterprise means you have to refactor your entire application to use React, forget about it. Forget about it. You're done. So. Here you have this notion of it's like, well, what if we can have our, our design system and have our partials as like a SAS file? And what that does is that kicks out a design system name dot min dot CSS file or whatever that we chuck onto a CDN so that our SharePoint consumers and our WordPress site or whatever, all they have to do is match the class names and they get the purple buttons. And... The React app gets the the fancy CSS modules version of that or like whatever. It doesn't matter. I don't, who cares how that actually sort of plays out. There you go. So, so, so for me, the portability thing of it's like, let's suck everything into this sort of CSS and, and JS thing is like, it's, it's so like, I am putting on my horse blinders. I don't care about what any other team across our company is doing or what tech stacks they're doing. If they're writing PHP, then <laughs> like have fun in the 90s or whatever. It's like, and you could like try to like belittle that stuff, but it's like, that's just the reality of a lot of the, a, a lot of places. Not just even the, the, the software that your company owns, the vendors you're working with, all this stuff. So bringing this back to it's like, we're, what we're talking about ultimately is making a freaking button purple. Why in the world are we wrapping this sort of like, you know, universe brain kind of thinking around it? <laughs> and and rant. You, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've hit it really well in the sense a lot of things that we do, you know, I, I like that you said the front end of the, of the front end. It's like front end is now even abstracted more and more. But we've separated concerns on the back end where, you know, you're not trying to com combine your back end language with your HTML and putting all the CSS together. It's like you can now say that your CSS is separate. You can migrate from Angular 1 to Angular 2 or to React if you want or view whatever framework you want. You could rewrite the CSS completely. Sometimes you might want to do all of it at once. But you could say, I'm just going to migrate React. I'm just going to migrate, you know, the, the JavaScript framework language, the HTML output. As long as the classes are the same, you're still going to look the same to the user, the end state user. You can rewrite that CSS too down the line, you know, rewrite the class and everything, but you can change the underlying technology and your CSS is still left pretty good. Here's the big trick to it all. The class names NPM library. Class names. It just builds an object. It just builds a string. And you basically go button and then you say button dash dash large equals size equals large so you just map like the api to your react component or whatever to a class name and what it does is just depends that if that thing returns true then it just chucks that it just adds that on so the ergonomics of it are in my opinion are just like trivial it's like you can do the equivalent of like inline styling everything and having a bunch of ifl statements in the middle of your of your javascript uh, or, or in the middle of your CSS file, it's like having a bunch of like logic. Or you could like have what I feel is like a really trivial abstraction of that, 
which basically just sort of dynamically builds a, a, a class name based on whatever conditions you want to chuck at it. And that just sort of, for me, to get, the, like, it's just a no-brainer. It's like you do, like, a li- like the tiniest bit of, like, extra legwork and, like, yeah, maybe add a couple more characters. Yeah, you still have to, like, consider class names, I guess, in general. But to be able to sort of, like, in order to do that, you you just automatically get this like maximum portability across the board it's like sure sign me up well and even if you have an organization where you are you have the luxury of like everything is the same stack so like even if your org is like we have a bunch of apps they're all react and we're going to build our design system in react and we're going to use style components as an example even that can cause problems where like let's say you want to uh, like upgrade the version of style components or maybe switch out and do it, use a different uh, framework. If you don't coordinate, you have to coordinate that then because your design system is inside of every product. So every product and every and the design system at the same time has to upgrade and make sure that it's like all working together nicely. Because I think like style components three and four don't play nice together on the same page. It breaks the whole site or something like oh, that. And there's, oh, there's, there's wow. stuff like that that can really cause problems. And then you, so you end up having to coordinate. So there's overhead to that, even if you are on the same, same stack. Yeah. And it's also worth stating, and this is one of my favorite exercises to play with every client. They just say, so what happens two years from now when everyone is migrating to Vue? What do, what are you gonna do? And it's and it's a, 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 a hypothetical, obviously. It's like I can't predict the future, but also it's like okay, Vue's hot. Like everybody like loves Vue. It's like seems to be nice to work with and like whatever. And sure, React is like the the hotness and has been the hotness for a while. But like at the time jQuery was, and at the time WordPress yeah. was, and whatever. And it's like. We are a fickle bunch, us developer folks. And so the, the sands of time change things. And so it's just fun to play that game of it's like, what happens when we migrate away from this thing? And, and you could either sort of say, well, we're never going to do that. And then you look like a fool. Uh, or you go, oh, okay. So how would we approach architecting this thing in such a way that sort of anticipates a future that might involve a new library that hasn't even been conceived yet or that's being written right this moment in time so it's like that that's the sort of thing i love how you said that where you're like even if you are standardized it's not like a short bet like even if you win that argument of like get real php people like you should be doing this (laughs) Um, even if you win those arguments, you're still you're still in in maybe not like the best place. So before we get into picks, I, I would love to leave our listeners with you know one piece of advice that you've all thought about when writing CSS. I would say try to always bet on the web platform. So if you're thinking about implementing something, I think this goes to what Brad was talking about before, like having those conversations with designers. Like try and always think about the easiest way that you could accomplish something using native as native as possible. So like, Oh, we need this thing to like hide at this breakpoint. Oh, media queries don't work. Cause it's more of like a component spacing thing. Like, can you do it with a media query? Then do that. Don't do, you know, some JavaScript calculation cause there's cost and overhead to it. And there's always like a, a trade-off of performance and, so it's like, yeah, make sure to have those conversations and, and uh, that'll, you'll come out with a better, a better thing for your, your end users. Yeah, please don't use JavaScript to, to reorder things. <laughs> so, sometimes there's no getting around it, but it's like you, you want yeah. those things to be few and far between. I really like what Stacey was saying about sort of like thinking more about the pure CSS as opposed to thinking about JavaScript. And something I've been trying to do more of recently is to just sort of like understand how CSS is working, like understand it better um, as a language, because it really is like a very powerful language. Um, and to think about like what you were saying, Ryan, earlier, sort of like you fix something and you get it to the layout you want it to be, but you have no idea how you got there. Um, I'm, I'll say I'm still very guilty of doing that. So sometimes it takes a lot to be like, okay, let me step back and think holistically about 
like either this one component or the layout of the page and sort of like scrap it and start from scratch and think like top down from larger elements to smaller elements. Um, and sort of just understanding like how that cascade is happening, what the layout is doing, how it's, you know, sort of flowing down to the, the smaller elements. Um, and just understand the language better, I think. Someone told me about margin collapsing the other day, and I had no idea that that was a thing. And I was like, what? Um, there, it's just like so much, so technical. It's like so much more technical than I was expecting for like this one line of CSS that I had written had this like an effect on, you know, the layout as a whole. And I was just, I, I couldn't even. Um, but <laughs> it was like a really good moment though to like, you know, just take a step back. And sometimes if you're like too far down the rabbit hole, think about the layout holistically yeah i want to piggyback off of that because that was essentially what i was going to try to say but i didn't know how to say it but mars is i guess really really good with words uh and i think brad alluded to this too how you know i think for design the real challenge of the mental model of understanding how the browser like renders things i feel if everyone just took some time to understand it like I think it's like crazy how many people don't know like what the formatting context is or like or even like the CSS box model like that's like that's those are like very fundamental things of how CSS renders elements um, like block level elements versus inline elements like understanding those things I feel like we'll just make we'll make the design process a, like a leap forward of magnitudes easier when communicating with engineers wholeheartedly agree and i'll uh i'll spare you the rant of how there's hundreds of millions of dollars of venture capital and and a lot of money preventing that understanding from happening because uh, there's a a whole swath of tools that are that make their their money and sort of keeping that pretty rudimentary knowledge that i could teach my nieces in in afternoon <laughs> away from <laughs> away from professional designers who've who've done this for for years and years but like haven't ever had to confront the the box model which is like <laughs> how how the shit that they're designing <laughs> actually like comes to life it's amazing absolutely incredible but yeah that's uh that's the that's the thing Here's my piece of advice. Codify your standards. Uh, figure out how you're going to do something and get it down and get everyone on the same page, whoever is going to contribute to the thing. The last thing you want to do is have, you know, because with CSS or technology in general, it's like there's a hundred thousand ways you can slice this. Uh, React's another great example. It's like, we're unopinionated. So therefore, it's like from component to component, you see like different conventions in play. You see people going and it's like, well, my personal preference is this. Your personal preference doesn't matter, especially whenever you're talking about, you know, creating stuff with other people. So you have to do things like, okay, let's say we're using SAS and we're going to nest some things. Okay, nesting is good to an extent. But we actually want to be really careful about it because you could end up being in a really bad spot. And even just also from an ergonomics thing uh, standpoint, it can end up sort of biting you uh, whenever things get sufficiently long. Um, so sweating those details and going, here's how we do things. Here's when we nest things. Uh, so and again, I'm, I'm fresh on this, just with start, spinning up a new project, we're like almost a month into the project, working with a client and all of that stuff. We've barely written any code because we're all getting on the same page and going, we're looking through things. We have like, there's BEM, there's modified BEM, there is some like CSS and JS stuff and all of that. And we're going, cool, all right. Let's pretend we're all going to write code together and I should be go, able to go anywhere in this code base and not know who wrote that, right? That is the goal, right? The goal is for us to write as a team and to sort of all sort of agree to the same, to the same conventions and to really spend the time to do that and, and sort of spend the time to go, all right, we're going to nest things. We're going to nest things like media queries. We're going to nest things like hover. We're not going to nest things like elements 
and we're not going to nest things like, um, you know, descendants, right? We're going to sort of kick that onto its own line. And here's how we're going to comment things. And here's one we comment, and here's one we don't. And here's the exact convention we're going to do. And it makes you feel like this, like, pedantic jerk at first, but by way of just, like, getting all of this down and then sort of trialing it out a little bit, like, that, that's what I'm doing this sprint right now. Me and my team and the client's team, we're all sort of like doing a couple components and we're going to really like just sweat the details of this and just like really sort of make sure that we're all on the same page. Once we do that, we're off to the races. The next, the next, the remainder of the project is us going to be like sort of full, full speed ahead. What you don't want to have is full speed ahead and everybody's going in 17 different directions. That ends up, you end up with a rat's nest. So like having that stuff and again, like the tooling and all of that stuff, you can sort of like help sort of like nudge people in the right direction or sort of help them do the right thing and like yell at them if they're sort of breaking standards. It's getting there. It's it's not perfect. But like that, as far as writing like sort of stuff that's going to stand the test of time that like, you know, you fast forward two years and you're like, oh, God, what a mess. Well, the reason it was a mess is that you didn't like establish your conventions and stick to them. So, and that's and that's CSS, but that's everything, right? It's like it's like what we're talking about is just writing writing code as a team. Spending the time doing that work is is far and away, I think, the biggest thing. Because I would use emotion, I would use style components. I I don't I don't care all that much. I mean, like I do, like you know, we can we already covered it, but like. At the end of the day, if I was coming into a project or like I got hired to, to sort of help the team and they're doing things a certain way, guess what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to go, you know what? I don't like that library. We should burn it down and like replatform over here. I'm going to work with the grain. I'm going to work with conventions that have already been established, right? And sort of help to try to get those to gel even more. So, so yeah, so that's the, that's the big thing. It's like just whatever you do, like get it down on paper, get it down in like a code guidelines or like readme file or whatever and be like, hey, summer intern, here's your here's the first thing you read before you touch anything. You get in here, understand how this stuff works and you'll be you'll be just fine. All right. I think that was really great advice to uh, to lead us into picks. Let's jump into picks. In each episode, we like to share things that we want to share with our listeners that are we found interesting. Augustus, you want to start it off? Uh, sure. Yeah. So my, I actually only have one pick, uh, but it's a big pick. I, I personally feel it's a big pick, um, and it's a tool called Dino. Um, you can check it out at dino.land. Um, so for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, Ryan Dahl, the creator of Node.js, he uh, he launched this talk a few months ago, and sure, that could be my second pick, I guess. There's this YouTube talk of mistakes I regret in making Node.js. He made a lot of mistakes when making Node.js, and he's been working on this project that today, uh, well, I don't know when this episode comes out, but he launched uh, something called Dino, which is a secure runtime environment for that supports JavaScript and TypeScript natively outside of the browser. Um, it's built on Rust and it uses V8, and it's honestly like a pretty big deal. Uh, it's so I think it's worth checking out if you haven't heard about it already. It could like be a big deal. All right, I've got three picks. Uh, the first one is uh, something Brad wrote uh, called "This Is Responsive," and I know you kind of created that quite some time ago, but I still point people to it quite a lot because I still feel like even now we're still having conversations about how like, Hey, you should make that thing responsive and make it work in different size viewports and screens. And, and it's, it's still, I wouldn't say a problem, but I, I, I still think that there are a lot of places that are not still not doing it and not understanding the importance of it. So I still find this resource to be really great to share um, with fellow you know engineers about like, how do you how do you do it? How do you think about it? Thank you. It's good. Again, it's like the, the patterns largely hold up. Like I'd probably revisit like the implementation details and like modernize things to like use. I think I'm still using like floats and <laughs> stuff and a lot of that stuff. <laughs> but it's like the, 
you know, we talked about it earlier. It's like a three up pattern. It's like, boy, oh boy, that's that stood the test of time. So, mm-hmm. and then the second pick is uh, Brad. Actually, you mentioned it earlier. Was uh, the article from uh, Rachel Andrew that just came out about you know does masonry belong in CSS Grid? And it's just a a good article discussing like current the current CSS standards process and and what what belongs in there and what's the future for for Grid? Should this be a part of it or not? Um, so that's a good one to read. And the final pick is a music pick. It's a, it's called a retrospective mix from 1993 to 2019 by a group called Orfix. Um, they're a Canadian duo, um, kind of techno ambient industrial. It's a little harder. So if you, if you enjoy some of my poppier techno picks, this one will be a little bit opposite of that. Um, uh, pretty, pretty hard, but, uh, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a cool it's a cool selection of all their stuff from from many years and that's on Bandcamp and I know a lot of artists in this kind of pandemic time, um, you, you know it's nice to support them uh, directly through things like purchasing their their work on on Bandcamp. I have two picks as usual, not tech related. <laughs> the first is called the Online Town um, and it's this like virtual space. Uh, where you can have like multiple conversations between a group of people and you kind of like walk in and out of rooms like you would in, in real life, I guess. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting, sort of like you can gather people, but you don't have to like all be awkwardly staring at each other in a Zoom call. You <laughs> and the second one is a project here in San Francisco called Paint the Void, which is um, basically turning all of our boarded up uh, like cafes and restaurants into murals and basically taking what is uh, like the void space and, and turning it into a creative space. Uh, so I actually didn't realize this, but what's really cool is I have a map of where all of the um, artists that have been sort of commissioned to do this, like where their murals are around the city. Um, also because I've been walking around and seeing them and I sometimes can't catch the tag, so I don't know who it is, and I want to like go back and figure out. So it's kind of nice to see it all plotted on a map and just to see all the different styles of street art that are coming about from this. Brad, what do you have for our listeners' picks that you'd like to share? I've got a few. I've got a few. One industry-related I really like, uh, relevant to our discussion, uh, moderncss.dev. Uh, modern CSS solution for old CSS problems as by uh, Stephanie Eccles and like one the design of it is freaking awesome there's like these parallelograms and stuff and like rainbow gradient borders so just like the design of it is really awesome but then it's like just to sort of like read off like some of the stuff is like button styling, icon button sty- button styling, solutions to replace the 12 column grid, uh, CSS only accessible drop down navigation menu, totally custom list styles, pure CSS smooth scroll back to top. Uh, it's like it's freaking great. Uh, there was there was like an old site called Solved by Flexbox, um, which is another one that I like still occasionally reference. Which is like here's like these hard things that we we really labored over in the pre. Flexbox days and like here's how to do that stuff effortlessly with Flexbox. So I like I love the spirit of the site. Uh it's like, hey, here's stuff that we've all labored over and like here's modern ways of of doing that. So uh and the design is just really, really cool. We'll say one, it's Seals singing Seal, Kiss from a Rose. <laughs> and it's the hardest I've laughed in a really, really, really long time. It's like actual seal sounds, including one that's like, ah! It's like it's like pitch perfect, like the actual the actual song. And like oh, it made me lose my mind. So uh and then the last one I have is a site called Radio, and there's five O's in that. And it's called a musical time machine. And my favorite thing about it, whoa, it's a map. So you can click and you could say, like, what was like the number one hit in like 1972 in Madagascar? It is like one of the coolest ways I've seen to like browse music. Like you're, you're navigating 
on multiple axes that aren't traditional axes of music, which is like geography and time. And so it's like time machine plus geography plus music is really, really cool. Admittedly, I, I, I've only like poked around on it a little bit, but I should probably just like have it up permanently and like pin it as a tab and just like sort of do all of my music listening through it. But I like for, for me, it's like, it's one of, it's like the perfect user experience of it's like, here's taking some existing paradigms and things that people are all used to, like a Google maps kind of thing and mixing that with, with something that's, that's quite novel. So I really love that. Hi, it's right on. I have two picks. They're both related to our topic today. Both books. One, I'm going to just give the plug for Atomic Design. We can cheers to that because it's a, it is a very good book. Highly recommend reading it. And then another one that still, I would say, stands up really well to CSS architecting is Smacks. I think that one has always stood out to me just how to write modular CSS and really be strategic about your components. Great. I think both of those books, you read both of those, I think you'll rethink how you write CSS. So I highly recommend those both. Brad, before we end the episode, I want to thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure having you. Where can people get in touch with you? I'm sure people have great questions about CSS and your love for atomic design. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, so my site is bradfrost.com. Um, I, I blog there occasionally. I would like it to be more frequent than it currently is, but, but yeah, I have a blog there. And then I am uh, Brad underscore Frost on Twitter. All right. Well, and thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can find us at frontendhappyhour.com. You can really subscribe to us on whatever you like to listen to podcasts on maybe rate us on uh, the podcast catcher that you like. And you can also follow us on Twitter at FrontendHH. Any last words? Atomic. Ooh, atomic. atomic. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.